Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2019. One chapter a day up until Christmas. Boys, are you ready? Yeah. Chapter 10. The Meeting. The subdued atmosphere at the end of the football game had all but vanished by Tuesday morning. There were mumblings and grumblings about the Rodian players and the refereeing, of course, but more talk and excitement about the away game on Thursday and the chance for Patcham to get its own back. Plus, not a minute went by without some kind of mention of the royal visit. James even had a slight spring in his step after he locked his bike and strolled into history. Then he saw Jenny. She was sitting at a desk near the front, a pair of crutches on the floor next to a foot that was in a big, grey, plastic boot that looked like it should have been clipped into a snowboard. James took the seat next to her. Not a bad match yesterday, he said. They were a good team. Number eight especially. What a player. What a player, Jenny said. Weren't you even watching what she did to me? Well, there were a couple of hard tackles, sure. But it was a cup game. She's evil, Jenny hissed, and the referee was blind. There did seem to be a few more fouls against Patcham, that's true. Jenny scowled at him. I'm sure you'll beat them on Thursday, James said. I won't be beating anyone, Jenny said, lifting the plastic cast up so her toes were visible at the end of the table. How bad is it? he asked. Like you care, Jenny said. I saw you talking to number eight after the game yesterday. She kissed your cheek. I didn't ask her to, he said awkwardly. She wanted to speak to me. But you didn't stop her. It's a torn ligament, thanks for asking. Does that mean you can't play football on Thursday or dance on Saturday, Jenny cut in. I'll be lucky if I'm walking properly before Christmas. I've got to wear this cast for at least ten days while it heals. James didn't know what to say. He knew how much the football, and especially the dancing, meant to her. The raven gave my key back, he said, changing the subject. My keyring was in an envelope, pushed through my door. And I think I'll have a look at the marina after school today. There could be something going on out there. I won't be much help at all. Jenny shifted a little in her chair, some of the frostiness melting. I need to rest as much as possible. Wait, are you wearing a tie? What? This old thing? James said innocently, adjusting the knot under his chin. You've never worn a tie before. You look smarter than normal. Is that gel in your hair? She looked closely at him. He waved her away. I just thought I'd dress up a little, you know, he said weakly. No, I don't know. Jenny's voice went cold again. I don't know why you'd dress up for no reason at all on a day that you're going out to the marina, and I don't think I want to know. James said nothing. The two children didn't speak for the rest of the lesson. When the bell went, James offered to help with her bag. Jenny said she was fine. He saw her a couple more times during the day, and she just ignored him. He felt bad for her, but when the bell went for the end of school, his mind was on getting to the marina, and his meeting with number eight. She'd called it a meeting when she'd spoken to him after the football match. A meeting to talk about the pavilion. But after she'd given him a kiss on the cheek, James thought of it more as a date. He hadn't wanted to tell Jenny about it 
because he knew she'd be upset. It seemed like she'd guessed anyway. There was a lot that James did not understand about girls. The cycle out was long but easy. By heading down London Road to the seafront, the route was nice and flat all the way. And the wind on Madeira Drive was at his back. He barely needed to pedal at all before he reached the white cliffs that towered over the grey concrete arms of the marina. It was a desolate development, Brighton Marina, squeezed between huge cliffs and the English Channel. It was home to a large supermarket, a cinema, a few restaurants and shops, and a load of jetties and piers filled with boats of all kinds. Number eight had told him to meet her at a cafe just past the Big Asda. She was there already when he arrived, sitting at a table in the window, smiling at him with a perfect smile while he locked his bike outside. He was nervous and a little excited when he sat down opposite her. He didn't notice the black bird perched on top of a lamp post, watching them with its shining black eyes. The two children talked about school and life. She was Chinese, a year older than James, and had started at Rodine that September. She was particularly interested in James's knowledge about Brighton and about the pavilion and the dome. It was her that mentioned the Prince Regent's tunnel between the buildings. I love secret passages and tunnels, she said. Did you know that I used one to get here today? James shook his head. She took out a normal-looking key. There's a tunnel from Rodine to the Undercliff Walk. It's one way from the school down to the beach, unless you have a key to get back, that is. Really? James said. He knew the Rodine School building was high up on the hill behind the cliffs above the marina. But he had never heard of a tunnel from the school to the beach. Would you like to see it? Yes, he said. I didn't know you could get through the cliffs from here. Only if you have the key, she said. Do you have your special key with you? Can I have a look? The Squidakan key was under his shirt. For the first time since leaving school, he thought about Jenny. He knew what she would tell him to do. But he wanted to see the tunnel up to Rodine. And what harm could it do to let her have a look? He loosened his tie, pulled the lanyard out from under his shirt, unclipped the Squidakan key and passed it to the girl. She held it carefully, feeling the weight in her hand before examining it. So strange, she said. What an odd, fishy face. Yeah, he said. We call it the Squidakan. How funny, she said. Here, let me put it back for you. She reached over and caught the end of his lanyard and clipped the key to it, then tucked it into his collar. And the feather? she asked. The lucky one. Do you still have that? It was in Elf's wooden box in his bag. He took it out, careful not to show anything else from inside the box. The girl held the feather for a moment and then gave it back. My turn, she said. This way. He left his bike locked up by the cafe and walked with the girl past the rows of boats in their moorings. They reached the far side of the marina and went up some steps onto the harbour wall, which led them out to the undercliff path. 
The wide concrete path led from just before the marina all the way out to Rottingdean, all in the shadow of the chalky cliffs. They walked away from Brighton and passed a steep little road that led up to the cliff top. Just on the other side of the road was an iron gate set into a concrete frame in the cliff face. James had never seen it before. It was rusted by the sea air, but still looked solid enough. On the other side was a rough-hewn tunnel that led steeply upwards. Before James could say anything, Number 8 kissed his cheek and unlocked the gate. Goodbye, James, she said. She went through the gate and pulled it closed after her. It clicked shut and she walked away into the tunnel, leaving James all alone on the path. It wasn't quite the view he had hoped of getting of the tunnel, and there was something strange about the way the girl had ended the meeting. In fact, he realised that she had never actually told him her name. James felt slightly disappointed, without being quite sure exactly what he was disappointed for. That was girls for you. Thinking of girls, he remembered telling Jenny that he wanted to have a look around the marina for anything out of the ordinary. With number eight gone, he now had time to do that. Walking back, the wind blew hard in his face. It was stronger than he had expected, causing his eyes to water, and even making it a little hard to walk. He took the undercliff path to give him a view of the back of the marina. Then he'd be able to cut through the Asda car park back to his bike. There was another load of boats in a secluded spot, tucked away from the main jetties. There were bigger and more expensive-looking yachts here, James thought. Exactly the sort of place that the prince would park, or more, whatever. The undercliff path was littered with small chunks of chalk that had come loose and fallen from the cliff above. Mostly pea-sized or smaller, but there were some larger ones that had been swept back against the cliff. There had been a proper rockfall years ago, James remembered, where a big part of the cliff had collapsed. It had blocked the undercliff walk completely, and even crushed a car or two in the Asda car park. Something hard and white hit James's forehead, and he winced and looked down. For a moment he thought it was the start of a chalk fall. More white balls were bouncing on the concrete by his feet. It was hail, big hail, and it was getting harder. He groaned, some date this was turning out to be. The hail was being whipped hard by the wind and hurt his hands and face where it struck them. He stuffed his hands in his pockets, tucked his head down and crunched forward on the fresh hailstones. Halfway to the steps down to the car park, the hail got even worse. He tucked himself up close to the cliff where the wind wasn't as bad. Up ahead was a concrete structure built up against the cliff. It looked a bit like a bus shelter. He could see some larger chalk boulders had fallen onto its concrete roof and stayed there. He paused in the shelter, glad to be out of the hard hail. He looked at the back wall. It was covered with graffiti. Well, tags mostly. But an interesting shape caught his eye. It was like the face of a strange creature, with fishy fins coming out of the top and sides. It was very much like a squiduckan, so much so that he took a closer look. The back of the bus shelter was made of three vertical, door-sized concrete slabs. 
The squidaken was sprayed on the middle one. Its eye was right in the centre of the concrete slab, and in the centre of the eye was a hole. James touched the hole with a cold finger. It might not have looked like one, but he knew what it was. It was a keyhole, which meant that, more than likely, the concrete slab was actually a secret door. The hail was coming down harder now, bouncing around his feet. He figured he should wait it out, and his eyes kept being drawn back to the keyhole. There was no one around, and it looked like he might be there for a while, so he pulled the squiduckin key out to open the secret door. As soon as he had the key in his hand, he knew something was wrong. The key didn't feel right. He looked at it and groaned. It wasn't the squiduckin key. It was the right size, but the face was wrong and the frills were too big. It was a fake, made of some kind of clay. He tried it in the lock anyway, but of course it didn't work. There was only one explanation. Number eight had switched the key. He felt so stupid. Jenny had been right all along. Number eight was evil. She had tricked him. And now she had the squid duck and key.